What's up? Welcome to Swearhead. Uh, we've got a good crew here. We thought we would do a relatively spontaneous, probably 24-hour notice, uh, check in with to see what's going on. I know there's a bit of panic out there. I, I've come down with something. I'm not going to lie. The symptoms feel coronavirus adjacent. Um, yet to break out in a sweat, but uh, let, let's see. My aim is to not die during this uh, this conversation. And here's the, here's the good news for me is that if I die, you guys are watching and you'll be able to get me out of this room very quickly. My family's next door. Um, do you, this, cause there aren't too many, there aren't too many people here. Do you guys want to quickly introduce you, each other to yourselves? Introduce yourselves to each other. What's your name? Where you're from? What do you do? Just a quick one. Okay, I'll start. Um, I'm let's do, and let's do this. Let's, let's do this alphabetically. So, Alexandra, perfect okay. that you start. <laughs> so it's Alexandra Suarez. I'm from Puerto Rico, um, and I do strategy, um, early stage innovation through design thinking and creative problem solving. So it's a uh, research, ideation, development, and then somebody else implements. Yeah, and uh, you've been you've been knocked around a lot, haven't you, with uh, everything happening in Puerto Rico, let alone this. Yeah, we, we are resilient people. <laughs> yeah. And you, the you, and the earthquakes, now this, it's like, yeah. <laughs> are you doing, you doing okay? How are you feeling? Yeah, uh, I have felt anxious, but like every time I look back, I'm like, okay, I've been through worse, so it's not going to be different. Let's see what happens. I don't think okay. the island can take it, but we'll see. Okay, okay. Uh, Dylan. Hey, yeah, so I'm from Arkansas and, uh, and I work at a, an agency here in Little Rock, capital of Arkansas. And so uh, I'm feeling uh, really well, uh, healthy, fine. Uh, the weather, it's, it just got super cold today. So I'm, I'm not too happy about that, but I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, Arkansas, Alabama, that, that stretch, that region, there's yet to see a lot of numbers from what I understand, Tennessee as well, but it's coming. So let's chat next week. Uh, who else? Oh, I thought Hello. We I just joined. Yeah. Oh, hey, how are you? How are you? We're just doing quick introductions. Then we'll have a chat. I'm just going to go in the, by the names that I'm seeing. Uh, I don't know if it's based on sound or slightly alphabetically. Uh, Kiliana. Oh, that's Annalie. It must be oh. my login name. <laughs> there you go. It's Annalie Killian. I am uh, dialing in from New York city. I have this, um, this is my third or fourth country. Uh, I met Mark when I was in Sydney uh, a few years ago, and now we're both in New York and just bumped into each other this week, literally. And uh, so I thought I'll jump on this call. And um, it's nice to see you all. I work with um, a cultural consultancy that looks at emerging trends and culture as a point of differentiation in consulting on strategy. So very interesting times for us because it's culturally very rich in terms of signals around um, how we can predict the future unfolding. So very interested in. Yeah, we should we should pepper you with we should pepper you with questions because part of how you work it's it's bucks and honey, right? Part of how you yeah. work is that you have like daily almost daily briefings. Is that correct on what's going on in the world? Yes, we do daily briefings, and we'll we'll be doing them online um, from next week so that people all over the world can dial in and watch it and participate. So uh, I'll give you the link um, at the end okay. of uh, this conversation. Awesome. Haven't seen you in the flesh in 10 years, but we live near each yeah. other. We worked out. So <laughs> I know I'm now a silver cool. park. Oh, don't you worry. I am almost whatever. I don't know. I'm just happy to still be alive. <laughs> I surprise myself every day. Uh, Jesse, what's up, Alaska? 
Yeah, uh, I'm Jesse Oleva. I'm an account planner up here in Anchorage, Alaska. So um, I work at um, one of the, I, I think we're the biggest. There's, there's actually a couple um, advertising agencies up here. Uh, not a lot of planners, though, not a lot of strategists. Um, but my side hustle, uh, I'm an adjunct professor at the university here and I teach market research. And my side side hustle is I am an auctioneer. So I do car auctions pretty much mm. every weekend. I wonder, I'm going to ask you something that's probably politically incorrect and I hope you get the reference. Sheldon at least will. It sounds like you're the only gay in the village. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. As in, that's a little written reference and it's hilarious. It's not me being anything. Uh, but are you one of the only planners? Are you the only planner in Anchorage? No, uh, there's, a, there's one other. It's my boss who's the, uh, the, the director of planning here. <laughs> so it's me awesome. and another person. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Natalie, self-intro. Hey, I am Natalie Burns. I'm strategy director at United Us, which is a branding agency down in Brighton, England. Uh, I'm currently working on a couple of uh, campaigns in the health and well-being space, which is quite interesting because that's uh, kind of turned all of my campaigns over this week. So um, I'm looking, I'm actually, you've caught me on my week off. I was meant to be uh, on holiday this week. And now that you're recording this, my team are all going to know that I'm spending my Friday night on a, on a work-related conference call. Great. Oh yeah. And I'll, 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 and I'll make it worse by saying we didn't catch you. You volunteered for this. You, you <laughs> it wasn't us tracking you down. Uh, yeah, I think that my main questions in the health and wellness space are like, when does everyone get free edibles and psilocybin based on interesting research that's out there? Not that I've experienced any of those things, but like, I don't know. <laughs> Hurry it along. MDMA as well. Uh, I'm joking. I don't do that stuff, by the way. I have kids. Um, <laughs> Sheldon, Birmingham, not Alabama, Birmingham, UK. Yes. Yes. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Sheldon. I'm from Birmingham, UK. Uh, I work as a strategist at McCann in their Birmingham office. So, a lot of people know the London office, but we've got our offices throughout the, the UK as well. So, uh, yeah, we've got our strategy team there. There's a few other agencies in the region as well. Um, but, yeah, we broadly work on a lot of brand and digital kind of planning, uh, some CRM stuff. But really, anything I can get my hands on, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's good. So, yeah, I, I like um, it. Sheldon and I, like, I know some of Sheldon's bosses personally. And so he, he uses me to keep them honest, I think, a little bit. And then they probably <laughs> use me back at him. Is that right, Sheldon? Yeah. Now it's live. I'll be like, hey, in a similar situation to, to the other guys, they'll be seeing me on this. So uh, hi, James. Hi, Joe. I know you're watching. So. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Vince. Vince doesn't use Facebook yet. Hi, <laughs> Sid Seth, you're in Chicago, right? Nice. Yeah, well done. Yep. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I'm a strategist at Monument Thompson, Chicago. Um, currently on my first day of indefinite work from home. So curious to see how that's going to go. I've never been super successful at working from home. So going to try and um, develop some sense of routine, um, figure out how to I'm currently at home, but I think I need to figure out like a space where I'm not at home and like, yeah, just yeah. organize my um, new working life. But yeah, let's chat. I'll write down working from home as a thing to discuss, but I'm kind of curious uh, to put Annalie on the spot largely because her agency prides itself. And this is not to test you at all, but because you 
have this daily briefing of clients and of the world of what's going on. Annalie, have you been plugged in this week? Like, what are you seeing? Yes, we actually um, did a um, Corona COVID-19 briefing um, earlier in the week, uh, just to look at um, how brands are responding and, uh, we also, with our culture strategy team, did a brainstorm on um, Tuesday to look at what do we believe will be accelerators and decelerators for specific trends. And that is going to be input into a briefing schedule coming up for uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, these uh, themes are published on our website at sparksandhoney.com. If you just go to the tab culture briefings, the... Um, the daily schedule will be up there. We are planning to make them available uh, via WebEx. Um, so the best place to look for how to dial in would be on the Sparks and Honey Facebook page, as well as our LinkedIn page, because we normally stream live through there and it's free. Oh, cool. So it's, it's part of our um, philosophy of being a learning organization. And it's it's a way in which we give back to not only the industry, but, you know, to also the world at large, because the better we all can see around corners, the more resilient we will all be as people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the trend that I'm interested in, there are a couple. Uh, one is how many relationships will end during this period with someone yelling at the other person that they hope they get COVID-19. That's one thing, that's one trend that I'm curious about. Uh, the other trend is how many people realize that working from home with people that they're very deeply connected to is, uh, is basically the end of that relationship. So I've, I've got the serious questions about the trends here, but also like I've got some of the symptoms and I've been thinking, I think about death all the time and uh, I want to have a bit of, we'll do some lighthearted stuff with this because I, I realize that if I'm on my deathbed and this is in public record, it will be, is like, send me jokes. I want to die laughing. Like that would be a hug and laughing. That's, that would be a dream. All right. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to say that if, if you really think that you have uh, COVID-19 and you haven't actually reached out to 311, you should do that. Probably hang up on this call. Um, but, um, uh, I did want to say that one of the themes for one of the briefings would be COVID-19 and the impact on relationships in its broader sense, because what is actually very interesting also is that we, I mean, pers it's a personal belief. I just had lunch with a guy that, you know, runs the Growth, Growth Mindset Institute. Um, and it's kind of around this notion that in the short term, we can all get by with working remotely. And we, we all think, and every futurist this last week or two have said that, you know, there's no going back. This is when the trend will jump the shark and, you know, CEOs and CFOs are going to say no more travel because we don't need to look during COVID-19 pandemic. We were able to work remotely and bring costs down. And that's sometimes better for people who have families as well, that they don't feel the pressure to, to have to say yes to travel. But we are social creatures and um, our ability to connect deeply with, um, you know, the employee and organizational relationship will be impacted 
um, you know, particularly in terms of intimacy and emotional connection. And so yeah. I think leaders are going to have to find out very, very quickly how to compensate for the fact that people aren't um, in social proximity to do that social grooming that happens when we're together. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, I think it's going to be a boon for introverts. So introverts could be quite excited right now. But then that you do lose something. I don't know a lot of people are pro remote working and we're working from home and the companies can maybe be even more efficient, but you do lose something in the, um, you know, I was talking about this with someone recently, just being in a room, if you've ever watched stand up comedy in a room with people, it's different to watching it online. Same with going to music concerts, there's just a different energy. So uh, I'll ask this to anyone. Uh, what are the main things that are on your mind? And we could go around the group or we could talk, you know, first person to talk will get the screen. That's the new game show, get the screen. But like, what are the, what are the uh, and I'm going to be a little lighthearted about it, um, but not too much because it's pretty, it's going to be a mess out there. And I look, you know, it's like, what is it? A quarter of America has no paid sick leave and the healthcare situation here is not good, let alone the issues with getting access to tests, which I think they're making announcements about right now. Like it's gonna, this is gonna have deep dark effects for a very long time. So I don't wanna joke too much, but I'm, I'm gonna joke a little bit. Who's like, what's on your mind? What's personally, what are you most personally worried about? So, um, uh, I mean, if, unless anyone else wants to, to go, I'm happy to kick off on that. So, um, I can't, I can't speak for everyone in, in the UK and I'm really intrigued to see everyone else's perspectives from around the world. But I think uh, for, for me, the more you look at the, the data of the implications of the uh, mortality rate by age of COVID-19, I'm, no, no, I'm, not, I'm not worried about myself in this instance. But what I am worried about is the spreadability of this. So uh, it, it's more that if I go into the office or any, any kind of situation, I take it back to my parents, that's my concern. Um, you know, the, the, um, I read a really great stat in uh, The Economist, I think it was like after the age of 50, you're, that's when your immune system starts to decline. And that's why we see such a, a huge disparity in the mortality rates by age. But I think one thing I'm also concerned about, which is more of a, a lighter level, is uh, the almost misinformation or how lighthearted people are about it online in certain, certain circles. So it's like, uh, for some people, it's like, oh, everyone's overreacting. Why? Why is it? Uh, why is it getting so much media attention? It's making it worse. And I don't, I don't think the severity is is understood. Mm -hmm. uh, when they think, oh, it only happens to people with, uh, uh, sorry, uh, it's only serious to people with uh, breathing conditions. And so you look in the UK, there's five and a half million people with with asthma. And if eighty percent of people with asthma get that asthma alone. Uh, and then there's an 8% mortality rate amongst those 80% of asthma people, then you've got uh, like 360 to 70,000 people uh, that are at risk of dying from that. So I think the severity uh, is going to roll out in, in terms of knowledge. Mm. Um, but my, my concern is, is people living in, in co-spaces with people who are at risk and those people not taking it seriously. And that, that's where the real danger comes. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a few people sort of parrot talking points about what you're talking about, which is it's not going to affect me and all this media hype is to destabilize certain politicians and it's going to affect my shares in the stock market and the people who I've heard talk like that. It's natural because they work in finance. Um, 
it's yeah, it's it's interesting times. What what are, what are the other things that are concerning people? I I am uh, worried about individualistic uh, attitudes. Um, I mean, I don't want to trash my own culture, but we are not a very disciplined culture. We don't follow rules, you know. Um, and I'm concerned that people are gonna be, you know, like uh, addressing whatever is good for them and they don't want to stay home and they'll go out and that's when it's going to start getting contagious and out of the out of the you know the, the limits mm. and i'm also concerned about the cognitive biases you know like we get a lot of research out there and you only see what you want to see if you are somebody that believes that this is a pandemic that's what you're going to see and if you see so this you're a very relaxed person and you're going to be you know like um how do you say that manipulating the statistic to your advantage and you're spreading that information. So um, basically I'm, I'm concerned about the collapse of the system because of individualistic people and their own cognitive biases. I, I, I would actually second that um, through the uh, platform that we have and built in Sparks and Honey, we call it Q. It's a algorithmically um, led intelligence platform that analyzes 50 million signals that there, we have about a million signals just on coronavirus in our system right now. And when you plot that together with other elements of culture that are in ascension, um, particularly the weaponization of the virus to fuel the cultural forces behind hate, um, then, you know, we, we really see an existential threat to humanity uh, because of in-groups and out-groups. And you kind of wonder, you know, if the tardiness in getting medical support to specific groups is part of the weaponization of this disease to um, serve specific interests. Uh, it's not that it's isolated, it's just that it fits a pattern of many other things that are happening in culture. And that is actually something that we're actually focusing on is how can we disrupt hate? Uh, because hate is an existential crisis for uh, humans now. Yeah, that one's true. I know there've been already incidents. I saw one in the UK where, uh, particularly because yeah, I've heard things like I'm not going to eat Chinese food ever again, which doesn't have much to do with the fact that this came from Wuhan through to the fact that like my my kids are half Korean and uh, I've, we've had brief chats about just being a little bit more wary than normal after Trump got in, they were getting a lot of slanty eyed comments from kids in the Western, in the upper West side of New York. And so we, we've had that chat because most people who are going to be that racist don't differentiate between Chinese or Koreans. It's just Asia which is like billions of people. Um, and so I, I feel that particular one on a, on a, on a personal level. Um, the one thing that is interesting about South Korean culture is very collectivist. And so, and, and it's not that it's anti-individual, but it's very collectivist. And so I was over there a few years ago and they decided that people needed to walk on a, on the different side of the uh, footpath and they ran a campaign, they ran lines down all the footpaths and everyone just did it because that's what it is to be South Korean. You kind of help each other out different to where I live now. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly like living in America, I'm like, this is really cool that people like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm like, Oh, that's really amazing. I like a little bit of that, but in these times it's going to be problematic potentially. 
What else is on everybody's yeah, mind? Yeah, I think, I mean, what, what, um, what's been on my mind lately has been just the potential political ramifications of it or rather lack of them. So like you think about someone like a Bernie Sanders who's like very, who's like one of his big things is like Medicare for all, like universal healthcare for everyone. Um, and it really puts into perspective how broken this American medical system is. Um, and I think part of it comes down to the, um, to what we all talking about, about the individualistic versus collectivistic attitudes of like, I don't think that at least my hypothesis is that people are still not going to, um, like, I would think something like this should trigger a realization in people that the way things are going. And like, if you have potentially have coronavirus, like you have to pay $500 to actually get tested. Like that, that is something brutally wrong with that system. Um, but I don't know if that change is going to happen. Um, and it's to me, something that is just like, that, that just makes me question over and over, like, is this the place that I want to be in? Like, I yeah, I have read other people contemplating that in certain emergencies that if they get sick, they're worried that they'll get preyed upon and not taken care of. And so they're thinking about where to be, which is not to attack America. It's not to be anti-American. It's just like, damn, if I want to survive, the challenge with these kinds of thoughts is you're battling decades of think tanks saying that as soon as you say what you just said, other people are thinking communist mm -hmm. and it's so dogmatic. And I've traveled around a lot of these areas. There's no nuance. Yep. Um, again, not attacking because the people are usually quite lovely to me, at least it's, it's just, it's in the, it's in the mind. It's in the zeitgeist there. Uh, what mm -hmm. else? Anybody else? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we obviously have the NHS, so, the, the cost isn't uh, a problem getting tested. It's more the capacity of our health service to actually deal with um, the, the peak of coronavirus when it actually hits. And one of the, you know, personally, my dad is, uh, has COPD, so he's got really bad respiratory issues and he is 77 years old now. Um, and uh, he thinks that he's a young person and that he's not in a risk category. And I think that that's, a really um, interesting thing that it, my grandparents are, are also kind of of that mindset. They think, oh no, because I'm not my parents who are, you know, who are only just dead, then I'm not the old person. And until uh, I think they see their, their own peers taking it seriously and realizing that, that they are in that group, that they mm. are elderly uh, mm. and at risk, they're just not, they're not taking it seriously at all. Uh, and, and it's going to really cause capacity issues that already exist. That, 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 issue, that issue could be an interesting advertising brief. I mean, I've been in retirement homes where people in their 80s have thought someone three to five years older than them is old and that they're not. And that's beautiful. I, I, I found it like it's awesome. I want to feel like that at, at that age. But if what you're talking about is widely like a widely held point of view, that could very well need some kind of campaign are you are you is anyone seeing uh any interesting um i'll call it loosely speaking like advertising work to do with topics like this uh i've seen you, you've probably come across it as well um it's kind of the opposite of that but you know um uh, in, in in the current times that kentucky had uh a finger licking campaign that they had to pull because now is not the time to be licking your fingers. Um, 
So uh, this just interesting how, you know, things have to be quickly unraveled. Um, mm -hmm. Things that have been in the works for months. Uh, yeah, I, I think in terms of um, uh, an, an interesting advertising brief, you know, things like the travel industry is going to need a lot of help in terms of, um, you know, bringing people back. Um, a lot of people believe that it's, it's permanently changed, particularly the cruising industry. Um, uh, was it Richard Branson's, um, you know, new venture has been pushed back by nine months. He was launching a cruise company for the millennials. And they've had to delay that. Ironically, the, the date of the maiden voyage was going to be the 1st of April. <laughs> April Fool's Day. I yeah, thought the, the... Oh, go ahead. There you go, you go. Another campaign that I saw was um, the Vietnamese government had like a... It was like for coronavirus, like they created this jingle. Um, and it was, it was really catchy, like so much so that that's now like a TikTok challenge going around, um, like dancing to that song. And to me, it was... Um, it was great because I think it, when you can, firstly, I, I am just a big fan of jingles. Like I think that um, the, it's, it's sad that they've gone out of style because they're so catchy and they can create such a lasting sort of connection. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see how, um, I mean, even something like TikTok now can play a role in actually spreading like a positive message or like spread word about how to protect yourself from um, this disease. Mm -hmm. I think you're so right. The best thing that I've seen this week is Gloria Gaynor washing her hands to I Will Survive and that turning that into a TikTok challenge. Brilliant. <laughs> Did your parents see that? Uh, no, not yet. I don't think. I will be sending it to them. I don't think that will get my dad to uh, think any differently. My mum is the one, she's a lot younger. She's like taking precautions to protect him. And, uh, and he is just like, I'm still going to the golf club. I'm still hanging out with all my friends and it will all be fine. So. And you think, you think that's because he still sees himself as a young person who won't, who's not at risk or, or cause I, I feel like there are some people who are, who don't see themselves at risk, but also other people who might be at peace with whatever happens. You know, I, I know there'll be people out there who are like, you know what, if I get it, I get it. It's okay. I've had an okay life. It's, it's okay. It's part of life. I, I I'm not sure that uh, for him it's it's peace. I think you know there might there might be a little bit of nihilism going on, but uh, I think for the most part it you know he's definitely existing in this uh, Daily Mail world um, where uh, he reads a very certain type of of news and pretty much thinks that it's all hype. Um, so right now he's just not engaging with. Uh, some of the realities of, of what uh, it actually looks like. Mm. I'm a bit curious, um, Natalie and Mark, what is your opinion on this? I mean, the fact for me that certain high profile people and maybe celebrities and influencers, when they start getting it and disclosing it, like the wife of um, the Canadian prime minister and Tom Hanks and so on, 
Do you think that gets more cuts through for people who are in denial because it basically yep. shows the virus has no regard for um, status, position, privilege, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you can get it. Yeah, there's two, there's a couple of concepts that come to mind with that. One is having done some research into altruism uh, and why we donate. Uh, there's the concept of an identifiable victim. Mm -hmm. And in the research that I read, women and children suffering are more likely to elicit donations. So it's not that this is a like for like concept, but identifiable victim, I think is important. The other thing from altruism is the idea of a leadership signal. So that if you need to raise money, if you can get like a million dollars from a well-known person or company, that's a good leadership signal that says that this is worth investing in. And then the third concept that comes to mind, and I listened, I listened to an interesting podcast about Elizabeth Warren this week and why she didn't win. And there were people saying, I wanted her to win because she's like me. So there's like this idea of identifiable victim, leadership signal, and potentially this third idea of someone like me. And as soon as you see that happening, I think it can get people's defenses down because otherwise it's coming from a very general other. And it's like, well, they're not me. I have all these reasons to support how different I am to them. Therefore, why should I believe what they're saying? I, I yeah. definitely think that, that, that you're totally right with the identifiable victim. I think if, you know, Rory McElroy suddenly came down with uh, coronavirus, my dad would suddenly be like, oh my gosh, this is serious. This is, this is real, the real deal. The other thing that I've noticed that um, seems to be switching the light bulb on for some people is when their workplace starts making significant changes to uh, you know, what's going on or starting to issue planning notices. So um, my mum works in a vet and they uh, this week started saying, okay, well, if the schools get shut down, then the kids, can, um, you know, for any of the vets, get to stay in the back room with all of the admin staff. So suddenly all of the admin staff are like, oh, wow, this is a real thing. We could have to deal with children being in our office at the same time. That's a really big deal. That's a big change. And I think that's, you know, th those kind of two things also seem to contribute to, you know, those light bulb moments going on. Yeah, I think it can, it can sort of go both ways where, uh, I, I think one of the, I saw like a Twitter post, someone talking about when Tom Hanks got it of helping to calm the paranoia a little bit also of like, um, you know, you think of Tom Hanks as like someone who, I mean, by and large, most people would know. And if he, I think there's a lot of like, oh my God, if I get coronavirus, like it's all over. Um, but him, someone like him or someone who is um, sort of in the public consciousness, um, that can help also not just make people sort of realize that it's a thing, but also maybe make them realize that like, yes, like it is a thing, but maybe it's not that bad. So like, I, because I think there's a healthy sort of medium between not being also too paranoid, but then not being too lax as well, kind of a, some middle ground of sort of cautious, being cautious, but also like not just completely shutting your whole life down. Yeah, that's, a, that's a tough line to play unless you're just a straight talker i mean with with most uh, i know we, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the role that that um the way that we think could play to help some of these situations and potentially even kick around this rory um, mcelroy brief uh in a second just to show people that there are, there are there are ways to be useful even though people might be panicking they're going to be in a long line in a shop they might have a few minutes to come up with an interesting advertising campaign that could help a few people. But with most uh, briefs that have anything to do with raising money or altruism, uh, it's usually 
how do you make it feel personal? How do you make it feel close to home? And so I think the dynamics we've talked about here, there are a few concepts that you could probably lift as uh, first principles onto any project like this. Um, Jesse and Dylan, I haven't heard from you. How are you guys, how, how are you feeling either on a, a big level or a personal level? I'm feeling well. Um, I was, I was thinking about just all the different topics that, that y'all brought to the table. And uh, my mind went to a conversation I had over, <clears throat> over Twitter just today. Um, this girl, her dad, he's a small business owner, owns a restaurant. And it was so interesting. He, uh, he was trying to be the responsible um, individual and, and provide uh, sanitizer on the, the tables. And long story short, well, people stole the sanitizer. So kind of back to what Alexandra was saying about people naturally just wanting to take care of themselves. Um, there's this flip side um, discouragement for toward uh, business owners or, or people in the private sector wanting, wanting to just be a part of the solution. And so that was something that, that, kind of worries me as this slowly spreads um what is the role of the private uh, industry have having this this whole season and uh, how how us as individuals we can actually discourage um you know the the good deeds that they're trying to trying to help us out and doing have you heard much to anyone but Dylan, because you mentioned restaurants, have, have any of you heard much about small businesses with maybe largely part-time workforces that are getting hit right now? And because that's got to be a really difficult, because you don't know how long this is going to yeah. last. People aren't turning up. Do you keep paying people? Do you take the hit? It's going to, you know, are you hearing many stories? I saw um, some story. I didn't go too deep into it somewhere in uh, maybe the Seattle region, somewhere up in there where a sit down fine dining restaurant flipped their business model to be a quick service restaurant. And so it was fascinating. I guess they are delivering the food to individuals, homes, apartments. Yeah. And so um, it's, we, we've now entered a world where businesses and, and communication, it has to be in order to survive, it has to be nimble and, be able to operate in uh, multiple faceted just modes of communication and operation. Mm -hmm. Anybody else hearing stories about uh, businesses under pressure and yeah. some of the difficult decisions they're facing? Yeah. So um, uh, my, my dad actually works in uh, care. So the provision of in-house care to all people who or people who can't uh, look after themselves in, as a, an individual. And uh, it's really an interesting dynamic and in how uh, it's interesting what, what, uh, what Dylan just mentioned about the, uh, the restaurant business and the, the, the on-market food business transitioning. And the uh, care provision is, is such an inflexible market that not only that, there's two edges to it. So not only have you got staff who, uh, if they're out of action, they're like really hard to replace, but they do such a, an intricate job where they'll go and look after someone in their own house and look after them who are look after people who are already vulnerable so there's the risk that they could pass on or, or transmit this 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 uh this virus to someone who is the most at risk so it's sort of like on this this knife edge of, of maintaining uh, staff availability but also trying to protect your customers that that you you are paid to 
be with physically as well. And it's like, I don't, I don't even know how you begin to tackle that. I don't think there's any innovation that can save that, that industry at this time. I think one going off of your point there, uh, I think gift cards, uh, especially small coffee shops. That was, I saw that earlier today and uh, it, back to, you know, modern businesses having e-commerce functionality, uh, being able to create another uh, stream of revenue for organizations to be able to support and, like you said, protect their, their people. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen of any uh, coffee shops or restaurants or whatever uh, pivot or make an announcement that, hey, we just launched our new gift card program, um, buy a $25, $30 gift card, uh, save your, save your dinner for two, you know, some weeks down the road or whatever. And so interesting to think about for sure. Yeah. And I think everyone here works in an agency, right? And the thing that's been on my mind this week was two. One is I do wonder how good at commercialization agencies actually are. And I know people have argued about time-based remuneration and different ways of getting remunerated, but you're still getting paid for some kind of physical exertion that has some limits uh, to do with time. Uh, you might pretend they don't, but they still do. And most people are still charging head hours, but you compare that to, you know, many other industries and they have multiple streams of revenue. And sometimes they're great at creating a product or a brand. And then they work out how to earn, I don't know, 10 different kinds of, you know, you look at a Disney or an ESPN. I mean, they're connected. Uh, you look at, a, you know, companies like that and how good they are at having different kinds of revenue stream, which can get them through this. And the thing is, you know, a lot of agency strategists, I get nervous, are, are too far from their own agency's businesses. And what the agencies are going to need now, especially the independent ones, but not, not just the independent ones, is cash flow as soon as possible. And so I think it is useful for people to get together and try to come up with ways that they can, ideas to help their agencies develop non-client dependent upfront cash flow. An example would be to come up with an interesting product that you could try to get onto a crowdfunding platform in the next month or two. Uh, are, you, are you, any of your agencies talking, and Jesse, we'll get to you in a second, but are any of your agencies talking about you know, how to diversify their revenue stream so that their businesses can sustain? We actually already have uh, a diversified revenue stream. Our business has equity in an online estate agent, which is okay. an interesting one to be in right now. Uh, kind of conflicted because the um, UK budget that was released earlier on this week is uh, looks actually quite positive for the general kind of construction industry and hopefully uh, the drop in the interest rate might help people continue to move homes. Um, and then also a, a litigation funding portal, which is a SaaS business. So um, from that perspective, uh, we it's it's definitely been something that's been discussed this week that we should look at how we can shift focus onto those uh, over the next few months. Um, but one of the big things is making sure that our clients also can get through what they need to get through, I think, and making sure that those relationships are, are, are good um, and that their businesses are okay. Um, we feel like, particularly for clients where we've rebranded them, we definitely feel like it's our duty to kind of uh, make sure that, that we can help them where possible. 
Um, and we've had a couple of clients this week get in touch with us because they're looking to uh, diversify their own revenue streams and they're asking us for advice on how that affects their brand and, and what they should be doing with that. Okay, that's good to hear. Anybody else coming across interesting ways of developing new revenue streams for agencies specifically that are used to basically selling hours? Uh, so we have one, we have a production subsidiary, so it's basically printing and we're kind of already in bed with them, but we have clients that come in through the production wing of, they're just looking to get things you know, printed. And then mm -hmm. we come in with, you know, design work. So it's, it's not, you know, completely diversified in terms of a risk position, but it definitely helps. Uh, it certainly helped uh, last year when uh, Alaska experienced a huge um, crack to our economy because to kind of bring this up, we're not a diversified economy up here in Alaska. Oil is kind of the main driver. And the one after that is tourism. And both of those are getting a huge hit right now. And so to kind of loop this around to like what's worrying me, what's keeping me up at night is we have, um, you know, not just brands that are running into this issue. We uh, do Alaska Tourism is one of our clients and they're freaking out right now because if the cruise ships aren't running, we're not getting any type of revenue. But it trickles all the way down to, you know, even cities like the city of Skagway, uh, if you ever played um the Yukon Trail, it's one of the cities you can start in. If the cruise ships don't come in, the town will die. And there it's a seasonal uh, you know, workforce that is now kind of putting the brakes on and saying, hey, do we really want to be going into Skagway knowing that the coronavirus is out there? So, you, so you're getting into structural uh, employment issues where we don't have enough people, the people aren't coming in. So, th th and, and they can't diversify quickly. They can't just go, you know, oh, hey, we're gonna get into like urban farming or something completely different. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty scary time up here. Uh, and a lot of small businesses are unfortunately going to go under because we need people to be visiting people. I sit on a board for a theater up here and we have a production that's launching in two weeks. And, you know, I know that Broadway had just shut down and a lot of regional theaters are shut down, but we're grappling right now with, well, you know, do, do we continue to have the show kind of go on because we have only had one case so far, or do we, you know, really be cautious and cancel the production knowing that it would sink the theater. And so I think it's really interesting that we're getting kind of this worldwide experiment on risk tolerance. And um, I think that a lot of the conversation has been the extremes where we have um, people who are going, this is going to blow over. We've heard this about H1N1, about SARS, about swine flu, and that was where nothing burgers to I've already prepared my uh, nuclear silo bunker. <laughs> and th there's, there's a spectrum here. And so I think uh, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, what is their risk? What is the appropriate approach? And it's, it's really hard to uh, wade through, you know, information that you're getting from the CDC, uh, from who, from, uh, from everybody. And what is it that we're going to do? And the real ramifications, because it's very easy to say like, oh, well, 
we're going to do everything virtually now. It's like, well, some industries rely on people interacting physically with other people. And so it's just uh, a lot of really tough decisions. And we, and we don't know when this is going to you know, resolve, if ever. Yeah, it's like as you're talking, I have these, uh, they're probably flippant thoughts. Like, wouldn't it be amazing to run some online initiative? I don't know what it is, like an online conference about like save my town and, and, and talk about these kinds of things. And that stuff could be kind of cool to kind of try to get a lot of ideas from around the place and get them into one spot so that they're available for people as they're freaking out. And they probably should in some of these situations about what's going on. Um, I don't know if that's a flippant idea, but maybe it's something we could, we could think through. Uh, what about on a personal level? Do you guys feel like financially, we'll talk about mental health in a second. Do you all have different, rev, like multiple revenue streams or is it largely salary and time-based if you have income coming in right now? I know not, not everyone might. Just the job, especially in a visa, it's not um, possible to uh, diversify that much because I mean, yeah, you don't really have the option to. Um, I, I had actually started teaching this year and uh, as a, you know, a diversification strategy and also part of um, um, just, you know, my lifelong continuous learning, you know, add a new string to your bow. Um, so I guess classroom based teaching has just gone out the window um, yeah. so now it's a rush to the online space which will be which is already crowded and which will get more crowded um, so that's also um, you know a challenge and it's very difficult to make um, you know good money from um, you know being just a thought leader online unless you're monetizing it through events and speaking which is now also dead I have a few friends who are launching books in the next three months. They believe that they're going to have massive losses, you know, years worth of work um, down the tube. Even though it would suggest that we're trapped at home, we might read more, but um, in fact, there is abundance of information. And often these people, the book is the loss leader and the speaking gigs is what makes them the money. Um, just I had another thought when you were asking about agencies um, having alternative revenue sources. I think there's also an opportunity to look at costs because one of the things I find so disheartening after many years in corporate life is that the moment that there is an economic crisis, the first reaction is it's slash staff and slash costs through cutting staff. And that is just exacerbating the economic um, challenges. And so I think there is a lot of creativity required in terms of thinking differently. Um, one of which could be, you know, the model around um, taking voluntary staff cuts, uh, payment cuts rather than um, enforcing, you know, redundancies. Um, you know, they, there is huge pay discrepancies um, that is part of the rising inequality in our society. And this might be a game changer if people realize that, you know, the sacrifice of one or two at the top can fund salaries 
for many, many months of other people like um, the CEO of Qantas has suspended his salary for the remainder of the year, uh, which I think is an extraordinary leadership uh, move. Um, and, and I want to commend him for doing that. And I believe some of his executives followed suit. So it's just that one doesn't always have to think on the revenue side. You can also be creative on the expenses side. Mm. I often wonder, you know, having gone through, I guess, 2001, 2008, having seen parents affected pretty badly in the 1990s, uh, in the agency world at least, and even having been in management teams, I don't think there's often um, an open conversation about these ideas and that it's largely CEO, CFO, they come in and announce it, ask you to agree. And it's like, wh why were they the two things that you thought about? There could have been 50 things that we could have discussed, but it's not a discussion. Yeah, yeah. Empowerment ceases in that moment when somebody believes that I'm in charge, I have to take control. And it's actually a failure of imagination. Um, I've worked in, in South Africa in an aluminium corporation in the sort of early 90s where um, instead of doing large-scale retrenchments, um, the executive ranks took a voluntary pay cut for a period of time. And that was enough to see us through the crisis. And, you know, things went back to normal after that. But people were so community-minded. You were talking about the Koreans being a collective culture. And, and I think that, you know, I'd rather take a pay cut than have my colleagues, um, you know, destitute. It really, I would not feel good about um, being the survivor. Uh, what, what, what's, the, what's the pleasure in that? Mm -hmm. uh, how's everybody's mental health? <laughs> that, that deserves silence, that question. What kind of question is that? <laughs> I'll start. Um, and I guess um, I haven't made, I mean, I haven't, uh, I have nothing for the 2020. I haven't uh, uh, invoiced anything this year. Uh, so I was beginning to get scared before the coronavirus uh, started. It, but my mental health is great. Uh, and, uh, and I think that would be my, my, my message to anybody. Um, I think we are super resilient uh, and I think uh, we can withstand everything. Uh, after the hurricane, I, I didn't invoice anything for about six months. And then 2018, 2019 were the best years I've had. So that was a big lesson, you know, like I just, just, you endure it. And then, I mean, you seek work anywhere. I, I've done the most I, I can. And I'm just ready to assume that it's going to be like this for maybe another six, seven, eight months. But luckily, you know, next year is going to be a new one. And uh, we'll start from scratch and we're going to recover. That's, that's my attitude right now. But I, I have assumed that it's going to be like this because otherwise I'm going to be stressed out and anxious, you know, and what's going on and da 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 da. I'm doing everything I can. There's not, not much else that I can do. So, yeah. Are you, are you thinking about, uh, maybe you've already done this. And again, I don't mean this in a patronizing way, but are you thinking about other revenue streams that you could bring into what you're doing through tools, templates, online education, books, et cetera? I have, yeah, I start, I already started, you know, like I started going to the United States first and now I'm going south. I'm going to Argentina. Mm. 
<laughs> See, you know, like if coronavirus is delayed over there, so I'm seeking help from everybody in my network. Uh, I am volunteer, I'm doing stuff pro bono. Uh, I haven't started doing the uh, like uh, frameworks and stuff, but I do have a, a project um, where I gather people on a table and we just do like a virtual photo, uh, focus group for no particular reason. You know, it's a women empowerment uh, uh, initiative that I, that I have. It's called Dinner Confidential. Um, and I've thought about doing, you know, like uh, frameworks and bubbles and, you know, like just bringing a bunch of females and doing frameworks over champagne and stuff like that. But it's still, you know, like physical. So how do I translate that to virtual? If I need to do that. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out. I have a bunch of ideas. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's good. Any, anybody else got the feelings that they want to chat about? Um, pretty anxious, I think, actually. A uh, lot of uncertainty. Um, like I mentioned, especially being on a visa, like it's, um, it's not so, it's not as simple. Like if, if tomorrow, like say, God forbid, like something would happen and, um, the agency realizes that our clients are cutting budgets and say there's like a round of layoffs or something. I mean, I don't really have, not that, I mean, other people who are not on visas don't have issues, but um, it just is kind of compounded by the fact, like, I mean, I could potentially like have to like leave the country. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a shaky time, especially given like in conversations with clients also, they also like, honestly, we don't know what, is um, what the future holds because like we don't really know how much of an impact this is going to have. So um, yeah, kind of uh, a bit scary. I think I'm not, I'm not as worried about like the virus in terms of like me getting infected and potentially dying because I'm fortunate to be on the right side of the age spectrum, I guess. But um, yeah, it's more the ramifications of everything that will come from this that is concerning. Yeah, I mean, a few, a few of us have seen cycles. It's weird to call it like this, and I, uh, I don't want to get like taken out of context. But like the 2001, I was doing my rap magazine, working in um, in agencies as well. I barely slept, and after September 11, my sister-in-law was in New York, living here at the time. But I, I, after September 11, I was in, I was in Sydney. Well, a lot of my distributors just disappeared, and we didn't get paid. And in the magazine game, you don't get paid much, <laughs> if at all, anyway. And it can be like a six to nine month delay having shipped your stuff around the world. And a lot of my favorite record labels and distributors went bankrupt, and music wasn't coming out, and we weren't getting paid. It was it was really really stressful. Two thousand and eight, I remember being in um, my family and I. We slept in uh, the Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris because we almost lost everything um and we had no money to stay in a hotel and i remember going through uh it, it, we had committed to the services trip for a wedding um and we just stayed inside for like seven days because we had no money to do anything and it freaked me out grew up parents went through recessions not a lot of employment through the 1990s for both of them sort of uh project by project either through teaching or, or, or whatever and um you know part of me having gone through that feels that it's like what Alexandra says, just trying to sh trying to shift your sense of time to being maybe less about days. And that doesn't mean you don't pay attention to the days, but maybe it's less about days and it is about a year or it's about five years. 
knowing that like humanity, if you survive, you, you, you tend to get through it and you, there might even be potential for you to come out stronger. And I mean that in, not in a shallow way, but in a, in an optimistic way in a time that's very challenging. Right. So, uh, yeah, if anyone ever wants to chat, let us know, we can reassemble the group. We can, we can, uh, do the dms as well so i've just, got a, just... a question uh, actually on the back of what you just said mark sorry to interrupt but like um mm. uh so this is i was talking to my manager or my, my head of department about it today uh so my my career sort of started in 2015 so this means that this is the first uh downturn i believe there will be a, a recession i'll have worked through in my career so i'm looking at that and i feel like i'm looking at at what people in 2008 and nine must have been looking at. So like what, what advice would you have for someone going through their first one? Yeah. I mean, even in my twenties, I remember in one place I worked every six months, you would just see people rounded up and taken to a meeting and then they would all leave. And I remember in 2008 where I was working, I saw 30 people one by one called into an office out of a hundred and then they were gone. And then we got told what, what had, what had happened. And so I, I think it's a common, and again, it's so easy for me to talk like this and f I could see someone being like, yeah, but that's all right for you. You've done okay in life and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, it's a combination of believing it's a cycle. Uh, what Alexandra says, I've heard that phrase in business a lot as well in the chat. She's talking like this, this too shall pass. Um, thinking about how to be less vulnerable to these situations in the future. And I'm talking largely financial, but for me, because of the work we do, that also means how do you be more creative in your own terms so that you can have different revenue streams, not necessarily reliable on a job. Try not to take it personally, trying to make sure that your identity isn't a barnacle on your job and that you don't have an identity unless you have a job. Uh, knowing that you're going to be talk like around people who might be feeling pain and maybe you should, talk to them even though you're feeling pain and that there will be people who won't understand your pain and so that can be difficult if you're a feeling individual to work out where can I get empathy because you might not get it with the people that you think you're going to get it from some people might judge you and then for my sanity where possible I'm like okay who knows what's going to happen but is there a way for me to get my head down and try to create something um, now I've got a little team here cause I've got a very powerful, um, intelligent wife and kids. And so they, you know, my wife takes a lot of load with, she's an accountant. So she takes a lot of load with all the stuff that, um, scares my brain. So I have that privilege. Um, but I, it's, it's kind of like a combination of, of those thoughts. Um, we're trying to, trying to think long-term and using these moments as an opportunity to reflect about what you want to do. And is there a way to, is there a way to generate in spite of everything that's going on? Uh, they're the thoughts. I don't know. Has anybody else got any, any other rambles to throw into that big question? I'll ramble a little bit. Um, I had an incredible neighbor in Sydney uh, and we were having a conversation one day about, you know, longevity. And like I said, look, I have absolutely no desire to live forever and long, you know, into deep old age. And uh, she, you know, talked about the fact that, you know, maybe in, you know, maybe that in a, in a world with a very large population that seems unsustainable for the planet that, and a bulging baby boomer, we shouldn't have the option to go out on our own terms. And she kind of looked at me and said, you know, what is the, the value of 
for older people and why society needs them. And I kind of said, no, not really. And she said, the value of older people is that they give hope to younger people because they, they, they sort of have a longer arc of looking at cycles and having survived them. And then they can pass that wisdom on and that's kind of the value. And so um, I wanted to say to Sheldon that I think you're asking exactly the right questions is, you know, how do I learn from those who have been through these cycles to, you know, prepare my mindset, to deal with the anxiety, um, and to understand that feeling anxiety at this time is actually normal. You shouldn't blame yourself for feeling anxious. Um, and that's just part of the human condition and anxiety is a normal response. Uh, I see it in my own daughters. They're really concerned at the moment, but you know, it's, it's like when you're, when you've been through it all, not, not through all of it, but when, when you've been through a lot of these cycles, hopefully you can bring insights and a new mindset to say, we can't keep solving these problems with the same old tropes. We have to think differently because this is a different problem that we're facing now. It's not the same problem as the Spanish flu. It's not the same problem as the 2008 financial crisis. Um, but as Alexandra said, it will pass and um, we'll, we'll all be better off if we actually tap into generational wisdom, both the, both the ideas and the exuberance of youth and the wisdom and the resilience of older people. I think that comment about it not being the same as the 2008 financial crisis is totally right. And the way that I had dealt with that crisis was to to follow opportunity around and kind of I, I moved countries to find the work i think the biggest difference for me now is that if i were in that same position this time i probably wouldn't want to do that because what we're dealing with now is a health crisis that directly affects my loved ones in a very different way and i would probably want to stay a lot closer so i think you know for my brother who's a lot younger i think it's a shame that he won't, I, I don't feel like he's going to have that same opportunity to just say, oh, you know, I, my, my job has gone here. I'm going to travel and, and go and find it elsewhere. I think that's, that's and also obviously travel is going to be restricted as well. So it is, it's a very different game this time around. Yeah, I think that um, looking towards the, towards the past, looking to uh, people who've uh, seen a couple cycles, uh, I have a couple quotes up in my cubicle here, one of them from Charlie Munger, who is the uh, CFO of Berkshire Hathaway, and he's seen a couple cycles when it comes to the stock market. But uh, he was quoting a poem and saying, you know, um, uh, my thoughts were calm, my thoughts were steady, and I was ready when trouble came. And that really sort of speaks to me uh, in terms of resiliency. I think that, you know, the modern version of that would be, you know, if we want to bring it into a campaign, like nothing beats a Londoner, even though you guys aren't from there. <laughs> so, um, and as an Alaskan, what, what gives me hope, and uh, to get to your earlier question, Mark, about, you know, mental health, 
things are scary right now, but I've seen um, crisis up here. Uh, two years ago, we had um, a pretty significant earthquake. It was 7.1. And what I was shocked and what I think shocked a lot of people, but didn't quite surprise them, was how caring uh, and how helpful we were to one another uh, as we were evacuating downtown here. Um, you would think, you know, it was going to be bedlam, but uh, no, people were, were kind and empathetic and it was uh, absolutely amazing, even though, um, you know, this very terrifying thing happened and luckily nobody, uh, nobody died, um, which is great. Um, but in terms of what's going to happen here with the coronavirus, I was at Costco yesterday and the lines were incredibly long and mm. you, could sent, you could feel the tension and wondering like, oh, where's the toilet paper at? But I, I, I had to take a little bit of pause and I went, you know, when the chips are really down, at least up here, but I think this extends to uh, the rest of, of humanity, um, you know, there is this uh, incredible well of empathy. And so I, I, I hope that's what, what, what ends up happening here when it comes to you know, what's going on with the coronavirus and what's going on with the stock market and what's going on with with layoffs that when the mm. chips are down, we do care for one another. Yeah, I, I believe in that. I mean, it is also funny to see the stock market used as such a proxy for the capacity and quality of humanity in times like this. I, I get it. Um, and also I think uh, Birmingham and the UK would disagree with the idea that nothing beats a Londoner because Birmingham in the UK is very violent and they're very beaty. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I've been to the UK, but um, you know, I have hope. I have hope. Yeah, yeah. Just, just by way of concluding, um, I mean, there's a few different problems that you know strategy brains like ours could try to apply our minds to to help. You know, with the with one of them which was how, how do we convince at-risk elderly people who think they're young and won't get this? Uh, how, how do we convince them that they will and that they should take precautions? Any, any baby thoughts, any first thoughts on how to solve that problem? I feel like a lot of um, marketing, especially in like the health industry, is about making people feel young and, and looking back at, at what can you regain from that. But... And the inverse is something that brands would always be wary of doing, right? So how do you make people see and feel old? That's, that'd be quite a jarring thing to put towards a lot of brands, but I'm sure that a lot of people would really benefit from that. So if someone doesn't feel old, how do you show them? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's um, actually a, a campaign that CVS, I think, did a couple of years ago. Um, they're the ones that say on the corner of happy and healthy and they tapped into this idea that baby boomers don't want to feel old i mean i don't think old people want to feel old that's not very you know interesting but they tapped into this um i think the commercial was like two women who were in bathing suits and they were flashing somebody and it had like this like young rebellious energy to it so i think you're absolutely right it has to be you know it, it has it has to be something along the lines of, hey, you should get, you know, you should be careful because you're old. Spinning that around is like you should do this because you're young. Mm. Can you make aging a rebellious act?
I don't know if that's something that was possible. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. Well, I, I was getting a glitch there. What did you say? Can you make... Sorry. Uh, like, can you position aging as an act of rebellion? So, I mean, yeah, there is something about... Because tr- there's... Uh, I don't know. Is it uh, Natalie's dad? Is he might see himself as something as a real, as something of a rebel? So talking about that's interesting. I think the other obvious place would be to, to go like, don't do it for yourself. Do it for your grandkids. Do it for your family. Uh, I, there's a bunch of campaigns in that space. There's a bunch of other campaigns in that first space you talked about about uh, trying to help people understand short-term effects of something that's going to happen. Sorry, so trying to get people to understand something that's going to happen in the distance. It's very hard to wrap your heads around. Um, by giving them some kind of metaphor or helping them see themselves in a different way soon. My words are very vague right now. Does anybody else have any, any other thoughts? Yeah. Well, it brings to mind for me, at least on the young people side of things is this idea of like young people feeling like invincible and like the idea of like, Oh, like $36 flight to Miami. Like I'm not going to get sick or like, I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to affect me. So like, let me do it. And so it's sort of this idea of like young people feeling invincible, but that reducing the world's, invincibility i don't know what the words are yet but something along the lines of like um like young people's immortality sort of reducing the world's mortality or increasing the world's mortality something that about um yeah because we yeah like people of my age i guess feel like they can do whatever but they are actively putting other people at risk but with that attitude um Mm. yeah i don't know that's where my head goes yeah, I think you could almost tap into that idea that, you know, you've been a rebel for 60 years. <laughs> you must be doing something right, or at least you're making the, the good bets on, on yourself. Um, like Harley Davidson, I feel, would be like a natural kind of case study because, you know, I, I think they're, they're struggling with reaching millennials right now, probably because their motorcycles are very expensive. But there is something about that kind of, you know, outlaw um brand but also that is very much catered to baby boomers so interesting to see what what they've been up to mm-hmm. do you, do quite you like that car, that car i think it was honda that did something where you would hit uh control something on on the on the ad while it was playing on youtube and you would see two different stories and i think the message was like it, like it was a car for uh, serious people during the day and then rebels at night. I don't remember, yeah. uh, I think it was Honda. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I was thinking about that, you know, like maybe you're young outside, but you're vulnerable, right? Uh, and you're vulnerable or, or maybe something with anti-aging and pro-aging, being pro-aging is like, you know, it's okay to age and I embrace this. And, uh, you know, like the wisdom uh, that, that we were talking about that older people bring to society is important. What about if you went with something like um, when your body is not as young as your spirit is, um, you have to, you know, um, make some adjustments because I think what um, Natalie was referencing with her father was kind of like the spirit is young, Mm -hmm. but the reality is that the body isn't. Um, And you don't want to uh, snuff out the optimism because optimism is a life force and denial is as good um, an antibiotic as, as an antibiotic is sometimes. Um, and it's what actually what keeps people from getting sick. So you don't want to snuff that out. 
um, it, it, it has to be a sort of a, a message around, um, you know, you're worth staying alive because there's still 99 items on your bucket list. And, you know, you don't want that to be taken away from you through some careless act or something. Yeah, I, I, I find with with these kinds of, let's call it campaigns, with these kinds of campaigns, it's very easy. And we know that the agency world is uh, very, very young right now and probably increasingly young, but it's very easy for there to be intergenerational moralizing and shaming as opposed to saying, you know what, you've earned your place in the world. You have, you worked your ass off to be in this place. You've earned your opinions. Uh, and, and sort of working into that sense of self that you're of the people that you're communicating with, as opposed to what I've seen the past few years between the generations and between different political parties, just straight out shame. The brain turns on and goes, I reject that because you're attacking me and who I am, as opposed to trying to find common ground and trying to come through, you know, with what we would all think that we're here to do empathy. Someone else is about to say something. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say that I, I quite like the idea of it being two pronged that it is, that the response to someone like my dad would be to to, to some kind of uh, self-actualization exercise, but also uh, tapping into what Anna Lee was saying about uh, that followed up very quickly by, uh, you know, th this is how you can retain optimism and what you can actually do, what the positive next steps are. I, I think, you know, in, in uh, thinking about that, my, my dad, like the, the moment that he realized that he really did have a lung disease that, that really made it uh, personal to him was the first time he took a, a spirometry test, the lung capacity test with me and my brother. And he realized that he could only push this little dial a, a tiny way. And then my, you know, at the time, 25-year-old brother, you know, hit the end of the, the tube and he was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's, that's a really big difference and I can actually see that and that's now real for me. Um, and with, you know, given that this is a health issue that we're dealing with and, and that it's not just affecting young people, I think that, you know, having something that is a physical, you know, you can do this, you can see whether or not you're at risk, you can actually get a sense of that but also you can you can there there are things that you can do to improve both your lung capacity and your um, respiratory health but but also there are things that that are worth kind of looking after yourself for and reasons to be optimistic i think is quite a nice yeah that, that's spirometry i'll call it i think there's an insight in there but it, i don't know how much those tests cost and how much the equipment costs but if you could turn that into some slightly entertaining family game that's not overly moralistic but obviously is is not naive about what it's trying to achieve to get families to compare themselves and their lungs that, that could be uh, that could be a really interesting uh campaign it, it reminds me of a campaign that a a friend in Australia, Lauren Joyce, Lauren Kassar did, was involved with years ago, I think, for Sensodyne, which was, um, oh my gosh, and now I've forgotten about it, but something to do with helping people, I think they bit ice cream in a shopping mall so that they could get a sense of it, right? My words are not very clear today, but it reminds me of, of that kind of thinking where you get people to do something that proves that helps them prove their own way into the decision that they probably need to make. Uh, okay. Well, we might do, I might do a few more of these over the coming weeks. You know, I'm, I'm anxious for the general, well, the world uh, and, and the, the general community that it's, it's going to be rough times. I just hope that people are able to discuss things and 
if, if you're able people here to hire other strategy folk or to recommend them for jobs or to, I don't know, assist each other in some other way, uh, please do. I'm going to have a think about what the, what the sweathead can do. And I'm always open to ideas, but it's, it's been beautiful to see your faces. I hope I get to see your faces again. Um, Alexandra, Annalie, Jesse, Natalie, Sheldon, Sid. I think we lost Dylan. Was anybody else on? Anyway, it was good to see you. Best wishes with the weekend and um, see if you can apply those brains to some of these crazy problems that we're about to face. Perfect. Thank you very much. Wash your hands. Thank you. Wash your hands. Lovely to meet you all. Great to meet you all. Be safe. Peace. Take care all.